When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. this episode of the show we helped to launch a new upland film series tailgate tales with eric peterson thanks for tuning in to episode number 185 Welcome back to the Birdshot Podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. As always, we're going to talk to our guest, Eric Peterson, in just a moment. First, I want to thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. As always, your support is greatly appreciated. Our July winner of the Patreon monthly giveaway, Glenn from Florida, is still deliberating over which of the three prizes he would like to choose from. So we'll let you know which one that is on a future episode. But you'll remember, all Patreon patrons are eligible for monthly giveaways, which right now happens to be for a winner's choice vest system from Final Rise, a pair of sawbuck brush pants from First Light, or a Pathfinder 2 GPS tracking and training caller. One winner each of the next three months patreon giveaways you can sign up for as little as five bucks a month get you some bird shop podcast can coolers and stickers as a welcome gift you're eligible for those monthly giveaways bonus content when that's available and any patreon exclusive discounts like the ones we've got for Gumleaf usa and upland institute at the moment patreon.com forward slash birdshot don't forget to rate review like subscribe and share the podcast leave us a review or a comment in the podcast app if you can leave us a star rating on spotify or apple all that stuff is very helpful for the birdshot podcast and i appreciate you taking a minute to do that if you haven't already All right, I wanted to mention a couple of things from some partners on the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt recently put out a masterclass webinar 
featuring Tyler Webster of the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast and Marissa Jensen of Pheasants Forever, along with Ben Bredigan of Onyx Hunt. They took a deep dive on prairie hunting and e-scouting using Onyx Hunt. I was unable to join live, but I started watching last night the replay, which you can find on YouTube. Go to the Onyx Hunt channel on YouTube and you can find it. Some great information. I've got a bunch more of it to continue to watch, but as I am getting ready for my prairie hunting trip, getting really excited for that, probably the first hunt of the year, there was definitely some quality info in that Onyx Hunt Masterclass that I will be using in preparation for my prairie hunting trip this fall. So check that out. Secondly, caught a little video last week on the Final Rise Instagram channel. Matt Davis and the team over at Final Rise have put out some gun cases, which was actually something I hadn't talked to Matt about, but I did think of that product as being something that Final Rise could put out at some point. It would work well with what they do. And lo and behold, Matt having the master plan that he does for Final Rise already had it in the works. No surprise there. And they've got gun cases. They've got a takedown case for those wanting to save a little bit of space with a break action gun. And they've got the regular long case, which I tend to use, although as my gun collection continues to grow, I've thought more and more about grabbing a takedown case or two to save a little space when you want to bring that extra gun on a hunting trip. So if you're looking for a new gun case and you want a darn good one from a company like Final Rise, check that out. I think it's going to be kind of a limited run. Not sure what the lead time is, but I thought I would mention it here. Final Rise field cases on the Final Rise website. Right now you can find it at finalrise.com. And I think that's about it. I am hustling to get this podcast intro done, completed, running around like crazy today. Got to get packed up tomorrow morning. I'm heading to Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. We'll be there for the rest of the week, hanging out with Del Whitman. We got Upland Gun Company fittings. I'm going to be working some dogs, checking out the new clay thrower that Jerry got installed out there. All kinds of preseason preparation, as well as chatting with all of the gun fitting customers and just hanging out at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. The excitement is in the air, and there's not much better than an August trip out to Pine Ridge Grouse Camp to ramp up the excitement even further. So moving on to our interview today, we are joined by Eric Peterson from Montana, founder and co-creator of Tailgate Tales, a new Upland film series that you may have seen some bits and pieces of going back to last year. The first episode, when you're hearing this, the first episode is now out, Tailgate Tales, featuring a Montana-based tattoo artist and relatively new Upland hunter. It's the first film in the series, and as Eric will tell you on today's episode, they intend to release a new one every two weeks on Sunday from here on out until they are all released. This is the first season of Tailgate Tales, and there are plans in place for season number two already. I'm going to let Eric fill you in on the rest of the details about what you will see if you haven't watched the first episode already, but I encourage you to go check it out. Like, follow Tailgate Tales. Stay tuned for their upcoming releases. And as Eric will tell you in today's episode, hopefully these films help keep the stoke high for all of you out there as you make plans and preparations for the upcoming fall season. All right, with that said, let's welcome into the conversation and on to the Birdshot podcast of Tailgate Tales, Eric Peterson. And we're joined by Eric Peterson from Montana. Thanks for joining me today. How are you, man? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and uh, have the chance to talk with you. Yeah, it's kind of an exciting time for you you're coming right up on the launch now when folks listen to this i gotta i'm gonna do a little on-air planning here uh they will probably hear this next friday so the first episode of tailgate tales will likely be released already that's right we're launching the first episode the first of five this sunday the 7th of august so um and then every two weeks after that for a total of five episodes so yeah, exciting times. We've been working on this project shoot for at least a year. I mean, we planned it before that, um, shot it all last fall, and then spent the winter um, piecing it together. So excited to be where I'm at with it and uh, get it out into the world. Yeah, absolutely. I know I'm looking forward to checking out a few more of the videos. I've seen seen bits and pieces, and, and you shared a few things with me, and I'm looking forward to more of it. And I know... This is a big, it's an exciting time where everybody's thinking about hunting. It's, we're leading up to the season and I'm sure you've got 
well, I know you're planning for planning for next year already. Yeah, absolutely. This coming fall, you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The plans are in the works, as are I'm sure for most uh, upland hunters out there. This is definitely the time where the stoke is high, the countdown is on, and the dogs are getting ramped up. It's like the more I run them, the more energy they seem to have these days. So I think <laughs> I think they're onto it too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they can they can smell something changing in the air. That's yeah. that's probably probably true. Well, we're going to talk about that today, but we'll get a little background from you, Eric. I'd like to. I, I mentioned you're in, you're in Montana, but tell us a little bit about where you are and what keeps you busy in the in the world of upland hunting with tailgate tails and everything else. Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm based in Livingston, Montana. I've been in Montana for about uh, 22 years. I moved out here the day I graduated college in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota, and I've been fortunate enough to make my living with my camera. So I started out as a still photographer in the newspaper industry, was a staff photographer for a number of newspapers out here in Montana. Um, and then after about 15 years of that, I left the, left the newspaper world and went out on my own and was still doing still photography. And went to grad school in Missoula and, and got my graduate degree and my thesis for that program was a, a film. I had never done any video work and wanted to come out of that program with a new skill set. So I did, um, I did a, a documentary, a short documentary film, which ultimately went on to play at the Banff Mountain Film Festival, which is kind of the Super Bowl for the outdoor adventure film world. And sure. had that experience yeah. and was like, man, this is where it's at. This is where my photojournalism <laughs> and storytelling background kind of meld with the visual aspect. And, and it just kind of took off from there. So since then, I've been doing more and more video work. And um, each year, I try and do at least one short documentary that's as much a passion project as anything, probably. I like to to keep one project going that I'm really, that fuels me. And then the rest of the work is more, you know, paying the bills, commercial style work. So, yeah. What was the, what was the subject of the film you did for um, Banff? It was about an 89 year old ultra runner um, who was just a really interesting guy. He lived in a cabin in the woods and did, you know, cut cut his own firewood by hand with a crosscut saw and ran long distances and just, um, purposely did things the hard way, which is the name of that film, The Hard Way. Purposely did things the hard way to stay young and vital. Um, and he's just a really neat guy. So we followed him through a season of training. He was getting ready to run a 50K at 89 years old. So it was a fun project to work Jeez. on. And, and the success <laughs> of that film, it, it went all over the world and played in some of the biggest film festivals of the world, not, not because of what I did, but because just the subject matter was so inspirational. Um, that sort of set me off on this path of film work. Um, I was in that kind of outdoor adventure world, skiing, uh, running, ski joring. Those were some of the subjects of films that I did. And then eventually I got to the point where I was like, man, my true passion is hunt is upland hunting. There's got to be a way to meld this love for film work and my passion for upland hunting. So I started kind of inching my way that way as as I got more experience in the film world and now um the bulk of my work really is in the in the hunting world which has been a fun transition that film the hard way just in case you struck anybody's curiosity as you did mine is that can we can we go watch that somewhere can I throw a link to it up anywhere yeah absolutely it's on uh, Vimeo on demand so you can you can find it on okay. Vimeo and uh it's it actually played on PBS it's also on on PBS's website so uh, I can get you a link for that. Yep. That's super cool. Uh, you, you kind of jokingly yesterday said to me as, as I was, I called you when I was going up to shoot sporting clays, you said you had a good Minnesota name and you mentioned St. Cloud. So you, you obviously grew up here in Minnesota, Eric. I did. I grew up in Minnesota, the son of a very avid hunter. And my mother was, uh, super supportive with four boys who all got really into hunting and yeah, my dad, uh, you know, any free time we had, we were archery hunting for deer or, or uh, duck hunting. He, we always had a black lab, so we did a lot of waterfowl hunting. He made a point to take us out to Montana every few years um, to experience some Western uh-huh. hunting, which I think is what, you know, ultimately 
um, hooked me was, was that experience. And then I started coming out to Montana in the summers. I had a brother that lived out here and did construction. So I'd come out and work for him in the summer while I was in college. And so it became, I just fell in love with the lifestyle and the, and the mountains and everything that the West had going for it. So yeah, like I said, the day I graduated college, I had my 1980 Dodge pickup truck packed and ready to go and moved out here and ended up doing construction for another year before I landed a job in the field that I had gone to school in for photography. So it's yeah. been uh, it's been a blast being able to to make a living with the camera in Montana. It's pretty, you know, living the dream out here. I could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. No shortage of of scenery out that way. Um, yeah. Did I get that right? You did say you went to St. Cloud, right? Yeah, so I started out college at Bemidji State University. I went there for a couple of years, okay. and then I transferred to St. Cloud State University and got a degree in mass communications there with an emphasis in, in print journalism. So I've, I was a photojournalist for newspapers and magazines the first half of my career before I started doing video work. So you were a, you were a beaver and a husky. I was a beaver and a husky, and... <laughs> <laughs> I have to call that out as a, as a bulldog myself. Absolutely, and I was going to say, and photographed plenty of hockey games between the bulldogs and the <laughs> and the huskies, which is always a highlight. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And St. Cloud, you know this better than I, but they're, as far as I know, they're they're quite well known for their like broadcasting and journalism. They've got great programs in that regard. They do, yeah. They have a really good program, which is why I ultimately ended up transferring there once I figured out what I wanted to do with my life. So it was a good move, and and kind of set me on this path. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's set the stage a little bit for Tailgate Tales. I mean, we've got some of your backstory, so it's it's I'm I'm able to pretty clearly piece together how we got here, but but let's what was the inspiration for Tailgate Tales itself, you know, this upland focused film series? Yeah, I mean, like I said I I got into into video work and I was doing a lot of kind of outdoor adventure films. And just started thinking, man, my true passion, along with you know trail running, which is what my first film was about, is upland hunting. And there's got to be a way to connect this this love of storytelling through video with my passion for upland hunting. And so um, I did a I did a short film for Pheasants Forever last year, and that went well. And I enjoyed the process and thought there's got to be more here. There doesn't seem to be a ton of like really good upland film content out there. So my business partner and I, Jasper, last winter riding the, or two winters ago, we were skiing on a powder day, riding the chairlift, brainstorming, having a business meeting as it were. Um, and just, you know, trying to figure <laughs> out like what, how can we do this? What's, what's missing out there? Um, we didn't want to do just another, you know, bang them up hunting show. We wanted to find kind of a niche um, or, or some, some theme to hang it on. And what we landed on was each episode would have a, a creative person to kind of, as a theme, you know, like different, different creative types. Um, so we figured we'd start out in their creative space, whether it's an art studio or, or whatever they're working in and get to know them a little bit and then go hunt with them and kind of explore the intersection between hunting and the outdoors and, and uh, these creative spaces. Because I think, for me at least, upland hunting has always had a little bit of, like, it's a bit of an art form in it, in and of itself to me. It's, it's almost to the level of, not to get too woo-woo, but like almost on the level of a spiritual uh, experience, if you let mm -hmm. it be, I guess. Um, and I, I had to assume that I wasn't the only one that felt that way, that it, it was more than just bag limits and, and piling up game. So I kind I just wanted to explore that a little bit and man, pitching these concepts of my own to companies that, you know, hear this idea out of the blue. I'm always amazed that people, that brands go for it, you know, <laughs> and in this case, I'm, I'm extremely grateful and fortunate that, um, federal ammo and gunner kennels and final rise all said, yeah, this sounds cool. There, nobody's doing this kind of thing in the upland world and we want to be part of it. So 
I mean, obviously this wouldn't happen without their support and it certainly wouldn't help happen without um, Jasper who was the camera operator and DP and gear schlepper and uh, you know, did all the, all the dirty work while I got to just stroll along with my gun and my bird dog with a, with a new guest each episode. So I, I certainly had the say, easy right? part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I may have failed at that part, but, <laughs> um, but I certainly had the easy part, but yeah, it's uh, and, and it's yet to be determined whether it's going to work. It'll be, I'm really curious to see how it's received. Um, you know, the, the film I did for Pheasants Forever last year w- was sort of along these lines. It, it was a more thoughtful, it was, a, it was about a friend of mine whose father got him started hunting, but then his father passed away. And this friend, David, um, his dog was 12 and nearing the end of his hunting career. And he wanted to take his dog back to South Dakota to some of the places his father had hunted when he was alive as kind of a final tribute to both his dog and his dad. So, you know, it was, it certainly wasn't your standard hunting film. Um, and it was really well received. And I was surprised at how many other hunters out there do appreciate this style of work, I guess. Mm. Yeah. That, that film was a long way home, right? Yeah, exactly. The long way home. Yep. Yeah, so I'm hopeful that Tailgate Tales resonates. These episodes resonate in the same way. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you will. You will soon find out. But um, if I were yeah. a if I were a betting man, I would uh, I would have my money on on them being them being quite well received. Because again, I, I mean, as much stuff has popped up in the upland space, relatively mm-hmm. speaking, there's still a, there's a lot. You know, there are a lot more of uh, these types of films and or um, content or projects going on in, in other spaces. And it's, you know, it's, it's easy for me to see where, you know, if you're, you're making a film for the BAMP Film Festival, I mean, they're, they're kind of sort of like pioneering this, this type of film in, in a way. Yeah. And now we're starting to see some of that stuff um, in other areas or, or subject matters. And obviously as somebody who's grown up the lifelong obsessed with bird hunting, I'm, I'm pretty happy to to see some of this stuff happening in the upland world. And the way that I got connected with you was was through our mutual friend Matt Davis of of Final Rise, who's a supporter of this show. And I'm I'm right there with you as far as you know the idea that that a a brand would would want to partner with something that I have created and or you have created. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely something to be thankful for, and it's and it's very cool to to have that support. And I think folks appreciate that, and they recognize. Uh, the brands that are out there supporting this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And Matt was one of the first ones to sign on, and he he was right there with me. He said, "Man, nobody's doing this. What the you know? Just there's a big gap here in the upland world. You know, all the other, a lot of the other uh, pursuits, whether it's waterfowl or deer or elk, are covered. But it just felt like mm-hmm. there weren't many there weren't many people doing it in the upland space. So we figured we'd try our hand at at filling that." And it's been it's been fun. Yeah, I was gonna say that the thing that caught my attention, I think the most wh- when I was previewing one of the films was was again the, and I think this is in the the little teaser trailer that you put out earlier this week too. But the idea that you're kind of centering on creative folks within upland hunting, and I, I think like you're definitely not going out on a limb there to suggest that upland hunting has has an you know like an artfulness to it or i would i would absolutely agree with you in that spiritual nature in fact the episode i put out last friday i was just interviewing um i interviewed glenn blackwood who's a known kind of a wealth of knowledge on all of sporting literature and i mean you know i've i've got a i've got a library full of books on upland bird hunting and i've just always been drawn to that sort of thing i mean the the passion and the words and the ideas that that folks have poured out about upland hunting over the years i think is all indicative of you know how deeply we are we can be connected to to this pursuit yes and there's certainly no shortage of amazing writers that do a good job of communicating that that mm-hmm. passion and that that artfulness of this particular pursuit you know from jim harrison to to Tom McGuane, to Jim Fergus, and there's no shortage of them. But I feel like I say there's no shortage, but but it's a select few that really hit the nail on the head. 
it's easy to do mediocre. It's hard to do really well, yeah. I think. Yeah. And we all know the ones that do really well because we all have those books on our bookshelf, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's sort of that. That's kind of what I was playing off of. Is this is it's been done in the written word. It's certainly been done through still photography. Uh, there's some amazing still photographer still photographers out there that kind of focus on on the uplands. But yeah, there just didn't seem like there were that many other outlets that were that we're doing it well in, in the film world. So that's what we're trying to do. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting too, because a lot of this is technology related in that just the, just the way that this podcast is now, I can actually host and produce and publish a podcast. You know, I couldn't do that 10 years ago or at least not in the yeah. same way. So that's kind of enabled me to do this. Whereas obviously the advancements in, in camera and just the fact that folks can consume video content in a reasonable yeah. way, um, you know, it makes that opportunity available for you to go out and, and capture and create something that, that we can enjoy that this, it just wasn't an option for us not that long ago. No, it didn't exist up until just a few years ago, as far as, yeah, consuming video, especially now there's a, there's a real hunger for video, just, just strictly through Instagram. Never mind all, you know, YouTube and all the rest. Right, right. There's also the double-edged sword of, you know, wanting to share this passion with the world and wanting to share the uplands with the world and yet bringing more people into the the shrinking space of yes. public lands, you know. Yep. And that's kind of a, a conundrum that I think you and I pro and plenty of others probably have to come to terms with of loving the thing to death. Um figuring out how to put this stuff out there and do it in a way that encourages conservation and giving back to the things we love. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think double-edged sword would be a, a fine way to put that. All right, let's, let's preview, let's preview tailgate tales this season and uh, feel free to share as much or as little as you want to about some of these films, but uh, where is tailgate tales going to take us this fall? Well, First off, you can find these episodes. They'll be on YouTube on the Tailgate Tales channel. And it's Tales like a story, so it's T-A-L-E-S. Um, Not like a rough girl's tail fan. Correct, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so our first episode, as you mentioned, is with a guy named Patrick. He's, a, he's an Iraq War veteran. Uh, he, did, he experimented with his first tattoo, and he's got a really funny story that he shares in this first episode about... Uh, the first tattoo that he did, which was actually over in Iraq for one of his translators, um, with some really rudimentary gear, uh, had never had never done anything like it, had never messed around with tattoos at all when he did that one for this guy. And then fast forward, whatever it's been now, 15 years or whatever, uh, he's now a professional tattoo artist in, in Bozeman, Montana, doing it for a living, fully tatted up, does not look like your typical upland hunter, which I kind of enjoy yeah um but just a great guy didn't have much hunting experience and we kind of purposely picked a couple people who were relatively new to the sport of hunting just to have that factor you know in a couple of the episodes because yeah. it's easy to as you become more of a veteran in the hunting world it's easy to kind of forget all the nuances and challenges of starting this like it there's a it, the on-ramp to any hunting pursuit i think is is pretty steep yeah um so it's just a way to kind of like, uh, you know, highlight the fact that we're not all veterans and this is what it looks like to start out. So Patrick uh, had done a very small amount of big game hunting, you know, but he was military. So he had plenty of experience with guns. So mm -hmm. there was no concern there. Um, so it was just really fun to, to experience it through his eyes of having never done this or never followed a bird dog um, through the through the long grass or that kind of stuff. It was all um new to him which made it fun for me and hopefully for the viewer so that episode we did a pheasant hunt in central montana on opening day which is right around mid-october in montana uh first weekend of october in montana first weekend okay okay yep and then runs till january or uh january 1st I did yeah. want to say that I was going to say this at the outset, but uh, you are nothing if not dedicated, Eric. You got a dang 
Upland tattoo for the sake of tailgate tales. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, too. There, sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. No problem. Yeah, that was uh, that was pro- that was about half for the episode and half because I kind of wanted a tattoo anyway. Yeah. And as as you hear in that episode, <laughs> I had never had a tattoo. Nobody in my family had ever had a tattoo, so it was kind of a fun way to um, jump into that world. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's episode one. The second one is with a. A musician, um, Ryan Aker is his name. He actually hails from Wisconsin, but now lives in Montana as well. He plays uh-huh. with a band called Last, The Last Revel. And he's another one that was relatively new to hunting. So he, he grew up fly fishing in Wisconsin and, and, and uh, spinner fishing as well, I guess. And, you know, he's relatively out, outdoorsy. His dad took him camping and stuff, but... It, had never done a lot of hunting, but when he moved to Montana, got really into it, but hadn't done much upland. So again, it was one of those where it was kind of fun and new for him to experience the dog work and the, and the action that is, you know, birds flushing right in front of your face. And that was a Southwest Montana pheasant hunt as well. You'll see a theme here. My, my true passion is pheasant hunting. Um, (laughs) and the bulk of these episodes are pheasant hunting in Montana. We did, we did, um, we did end up doing a totally different one at the end, which I'll get to, but yeah. so the third one is with a wildlife artist, Amber Blazina. She does oil paintings, like large format, really cool wildlife art. Um, she grew up in Eastern Montana. So we actually went out to her ranch and hunted on a, on a blizzardy day in Eastern Montana where there's nothing to stop the wind. So it was Windy and snowy, but made for some some great footage, some great shooting, and and yeah. her the the farm that she grew up on is just a natural, has fantastic pheasant habitat. So that was a fun one. And then uh, number four is with Chris Dombrowski, who's a poet and author from Missoula, Montana. And Chris and we took Chris up to the High Line, which is up in northern Montana. Um, yeah and hunted pheasants and sharptail up there and ended up on this fantastic place that a friend of a friend let us hunt and it's a private spot but man it was just incredible pheasant habitat and just he he cultivates this place for upland hunting so it was one of those dream properties that you drive you normally i would drive by and drool over and think there's no way i could ever get on a place like that yeah um but was lucky enough to do do so for this episode so that was a fun one and then and then we finished it off with a chucker hunt down in utah with matt davis of final rise and kind of highlighted his his own creative pursuit which is sewing these these upland hunting products like the the vests are what he started out with but now he's branching out into all sorts of different things so that was my first chucker hunt and uh Jasper's first chucker hunt as well. The poor guy had to lug his heavy camera gear up and down those <laughs> chucker hills, which is yeah. like its own form of <laughs> of torture. Um, but it was super fun. Had a good time. Got to experience what all the, the chucker rage is about. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. And yeah, well, as a as a sure. fellow Minnesotan <laughs> over here, what tell me what was the chucker hunting all about? Tell me about it. <laughs> well, like I told Matt, that felt a lot more like elk hunting than than bird hunting. It was just a lot of going straight up and straight down, and hard on the legs and hard on the lungs. And but 
man, it's like anything else when you put in the work and you, you earn it, it just, mm. it's that much sweeter. So it, it was a really cool experience. And so these episodes, yeah. like I said, they'll, they'll start dropping August 7th and every two weeks after that, I think the final one is about early October. So okay. the hope was that it would kind of fuel the stoke leading into this hunting season and get people excited and, you know, further the cause of, of the upland community. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely looking forward to seeing more of it. And yeah, so pretty Montana focused last year. Obviously you were, you were just kind of dipping your toe in the water. I'm, I'm sure going for low hanging fruit, so to speak, and trying to get, get good stuff done. And obviously Montana, not a bad place to film some upland bird hunting content. Right. Right. Yeah. So this pheasant hunting, that's obviously one of your favorite things to do do you will you be out on september 1 chasing sharp tails and huns or what does the upland season typically look like for you eric yeah september 1 is always uh, a good friend of mine that i grew up with in minnesota who also lives here in montana he and i spend every opening day um in the mountains hunting mountain grouse mostly not blues, jay, is but it? If, no but i do know oh. jay okay okay <laughs> um so we'll be hunting blues and, and roughs up in the mountains on September 1. I usually hold off on the sharp tail until we get a good frost just because it's so snaky in some of the some of the areas where sure. the sharp tail are. So I generally stick to the mountains, both for snakes and heat. It's just cooler up, up high. Sure, so. yeah. So will you be will you be getting into like blue grouse and rough grouse on a on a opening day hunt potentially? Yep, exactly. Blues and roughs primarily yep sounds awesome yeah it's it's one of those you don't see hardly any people out doing it because there's just so many places you can go um there you can kind of find them anywhere within a certain elevation range you know in the right kind of habitat but man it feels like you could go just about anywhere and and stumble into them so um from what i've seen of the blue grouse hunting like i've got more and more people now kind of they'll send me pictures of working dogs out there in August and stuff, just like those kind of like those like Alpine meadows and like little openings in the timber. So it's like, you're kind of in the woods, but you're kind of in the open. It just yeah. it looks so enjoyable to me. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's usually, yeah. Um, big sage meadows or sage flats interspersed mm. with some trees and that time of year, they're generally eating the hoppers. So they're kind of, you know, sure. mornings and evenings are, they're out in those sage flats picking off hoppers um so yeah it's beautiful country and and you know it's basically where if you were an archery elk hunter that's where you'd be is the same kind of topography same kind of elevation all that stuff um which is what i used to spend my septembers doing until i i got a a second bird dog and realized i can't possibly leave two (laughs) bird dogs at home to go carry my bow around the mountains so now it's now it's mostly chasing dogs around which is just fine with me. <laughs> I think, like, again, from, like, the, what little I've read about it, like, it's it tends to be a fairly mixed bag hunt. Like, you, if your dog's on point, you could walk in and you could flush rough grouse or you could flush blue grouse. Is that kind of how it plays out? Yeah, you? and, yep, exactly. And even sometimes the Hungarian partridge will live up higher, too. Oh, we'll no run into kidding. those sometimes. Yeah, yeah, roughs, blues, um, what else? I guess that's the bulk of it, but yeah, it's, it is a mixed bag. It's kind of fun that way. Is there anything in particular that you're, and I'm kind of like, I'm I'm sort of like mentally preparing myself for this one day, probably not this year, but like, is there anything that you're, how do you go about it? Do you, you mentioned an elevation range. Do you try to get to a certain elevation and just kind of hang there? Are you targeting any, anything topographically or geographically? What, how do you go about it? Usually elevation from the people I've talked to that, that know it better than I do, mm-hmm. elevation is the key. You get okay. in the right elevation zone, and then if you can find water and those kind of mixed, you know, open meadows with with trees for shade or to roost in, that seems to those seem to be kind of the key ingredients. Like every other species, you find food, water, and cover. Right. That kind of is the the magic formula. The more the more diversity, the better. With a few kind of underlying principles, aka elevation yep. being in the right spot. But then, yeah, you're yeah, exactly. you're looking for upland birds at that point. Yep. Yep. Got it. Yeah. So then, yeah, you're doing that until you can maybe chase some sharp tails and stuff. Yeah. Once it gets 
cold enough, uh, or if it, you know we get a good frost, then I'll go more central or eastern Montana and chase sharptails and huns until opener pheasant, and then that's pretty much it until <laughs> January first. I'm chasing roosters. Yeah. Unless I'm lucky enough to book a you know a hunt in Utah chasing chuckers, which I'm hoping to do again <laughs> this fall. <laughs> Once I've got a taste of it now, it's kind of like I need to go back and try it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you said it yourself. You consider yourself lucky, so so the torture was yeah. was clearly worth it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I always think about, and I've interviewed plenty of chucker hunters, but I always think about imagine like you know basically shooting downhill which is, uh, you know, as we were talking about sporting clays, um, anything below my feet, I, I tend to not be very good at shooting. <laughs> shooting oh, was, did you have a lot of low shots? Uh, yeah. And, and Matt warned me ahead of time that you tend to shoot over the top of them because yep. of that. So, yep. um, you know, it's like, it's like sporting clays, the rabbit sometimes is my, my arch nemesis cause I'm shooting down on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I certainly, um, <laughs> they're hard to hit they're hard to get to they're hard to hit <laughs> i don't know why people would want to chase them but here we are <laughs> <laughs> are they pretty are they pretty fast running or flying or uh, both? flying flying and i just kind of mean like comparatively just given that you know you've seen pheasants you've seen sharptails you've seen rough grouse i mean are do chuckers stand out in any way I mean, I imagine obviously they can get they can get the wind behind them and and they can use yeah. the terrain and topography. But I guess I've just never yeah, really I mean, seen them in the air. So yeah, I mean, I, it felt like they were pretty close to like shooting at a Hungarian partridge size wise. I think they're a little faster than than a hun, or I was just out of breath and they seemed faster. I'm <laughs> sure, not sure, yeah, they got that going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned the the rabbit targets on on sporting clays there were there were none in the round that i shot yesterday but it didn't seem to help my scores yesterday anyway so (laughs) i don't know what it is but i struggle so hard i think you know it's the only thing you're shooting on the ground my buddy always says anything that's that resemble that that stays low he's bad at it because he he calls them dog killers you just don't take those shots in the field right right? whether it's a, a clay pigeon flying low over the hill or whatever two feet off the ground or bouncing along the ground it's just not shots you take in the field because you because of the dogs so i don't know if that's it or if it's just a mental thing um either way i i'm horrible at yeah. those shots <laughs> <laughs> there it's a different perspective too because because the target is close to the ground so you have that reference point so i think like I could get this wrong, but I think they kind of appear like they're moving faster than they are just because they're racing mm. over the ground. Whereas yeah. when things are in the air, you don't have that same perspective. But yeah, that makes sense. I'll buy that. Don't I'll take it. That. Don't take it from me. I'm not. A, <laughs> I I will say I I don't tend to struggle. Like I don't I don't tend to struggle with rabbit targets. I feel like I'm I'm okay on it. And maybe that's the maybe that's the old partridge hunter in me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that's primarily what you're hunting, right? Is is grouse, rough rough grouse, and, and yeah, rough, rough grouse. grouse and woodcock, and yeah, I I never really okay. called them partridge. That that name is it's a I always appreciated that. You know, I'm sure you growing up in Minnesota, you've heard that plenty. It's definitely yeah. kind of a it's a it's a term that gets used by maybe folks that take it less seriously than me um but it it, it almost at times it felt like just kind of a universal thing you know people just refer to them as as partridge so i always i always liked that but yeah i I spent the bulk of my fall chasing grouse and woodcock and over the last few years as the listeners will know i've i've gotten out to explore and i've i've done some western trips which i'll be doing some this year and um, i'm really enjoying kind of taking in some of the other things that the uplands have to offer because i tend to get pretty narrowly focused on on my home covers yeah yeah there's so much out there Mm -hmm. if if time wasn't a factor the way it is for all of us these days it'd be fun to to travel down south or to travel out west or to you know there's so many different species and and different styles of hunting man i'd love to hunt like plantation style i think that would be such a cool experience or horseback you know and it all falls under the great umbrella of uplands, but man, there's so much variety within that. Have you ever hunted bobwhite quail or anything? 
No, I haven't. Okay. I would love to, but I, I have not. Have you? Nope, nope. They're uh, they're definitely on my list. I keep I keep thinking that I really really want to do another. You know, I, I like my early season western trip, kind of sharp tail hunt trip. Then I come back home for the most part and take advantage of all that the grouse woods has to offer for as long as I possibly can until uh, we get yeah. kind of get covered up with snow. And then I'd like to I'd like to do a later season kind of grasslandish trip somewhere that would be you know maybe for pheasants and quail or pheasants and sharp tail and quail um you know if yeah. i could check a few of those boxes but i haven't uh i went to south Dakota, i've been to south dakota a couple times but um like you said it's just a it's it's a time thing and i do squeeze a lot of juice out of the grouse woods around here so it's uh yeah it's always a push and pull kind of thing yeah and there's something to be said for hunting your your local spots and, you know, getting out mm-hmm. in the morning before, before your kid duties come online or whatever it is <laughs> that, that takes up your time. But, but it's like, yeah, it's also fun to, to go explore somewhere new, obviously too. Yeah. And you've got a, if you've got one son at least that I know of, do you have more kids? I have two, two boys, uh, okay. 13 and 14 right now. So yeah, it's like the, it's the fun age. It's they're they're starting to, want to go on their own not be dragged along by dad they're starting to connect on birds which is kind of the you know the game changer which causes them to want to come along because those first sure. that first year or two is just frustrating as you know as a kid it's the it, wing shooting is not an easy thing even for adults and mm. i, I mm. You, you forget that but then um just getting them going the past couple of years it's like, man, this is hard. There's a, a lot of things have to come together all at the same time in a very short span of time in order for it to be successful. And it's like anything else, it's easy to get frustrated when you're young and just starting out and you see how easy it can be for your dad or for your, you know, your uncle or whoever you're hunting with. Well, they, they, do, they nail it every time, but it's a tough thing to start out with, but they're, they're now at the age, this is season three for my older son, season two for my younger son. So they're, they've each, um, shot their own bird on the wing now. And, um, cool. so it's kind of stoked that, that fire for them, which is really fun for me. They're also at the age where they can keep up, you know, you're not, right. you're not dragging them along. Um, so it's just a, a really fun age. That's kind of my, my favorite part of the fall is just getting out with them. Yeah, I could imagine anything. Anything you could you could do with your your boys would be is is time well spent. Obviously, um, but yeah, yeah, very cool to to see them kind of getting that interest. And yeah, it's I, I'm sort of like thinking ahead. I've got I've got two boys. One's four, and one will be one this month. So so we've got a wow. ways to go. But I'm yeah. I'm like thinking about that. Like wow, like you know, trying to coach them through shooting their first bird on the wing. Like, just like you, you talked about like all of the things that kind of have to come together and there's a lot of muscle memory and like subconscious stuff going on in, in you or I that has yet to be programmed in, in the, the young kids. Exactly. Yeah. And that takes time to develop. And, and every time that doesn't, every time it doesn't work and they don't connect, it's another like, a little frustration creeping in you know and it's as a parent you're you're walking that line of letting the thing be difficult but not so difficult that they lose interest completely yeah so the way the way i worked around that was i let both of them shoot their first bird out of a tree you know sitting just to get that the pre-flight position exactly (laughs) (laughs) exactly um and that you know that went a long way it's it's like they can, a lot of the practice shooting we did were at, at still target. So they knew how to shoot the gun. It's just all the other parts of, of the lead, you know, the mounting your gun and the lead and all that is hard. So taking those out of the equation and just letting them point and shoot and get that, that victory. And then, you know, taking the next step of, all right, now let's try and do it on the wing. I, my favorite uh, memory from last fall, my, my older son, we were following my older dog. He had gone on point and then repositioned and moved. And there were two ways through this thicket. I went right, he went left, and I stepped out into the field. I saw the dog on point again. And I saw Henry, my older son, step out into the field too behind him. And he walked up and he's 
13 at this time. So, you know, still relatively new. He walked up and the bird got up and he, he pulled up and shot it and the bird fell down. And I, I was gobsmacked. I mean, I, I thought I'd just seen a magic trick. I thought there's no right. way that just happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, but there it was like the things all clicked. He missed plenty of times after that, but it's like that one time it worked and man, did that, that carried him through the season, you know, that kept the stoke through the entire season. So you get one, one win every, every once in a while that kind of keeps them going. Yeah. That's good advice. One, one step at a time, one day at a time, one bird at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, have your kids gone out and shot sporting clays with you at all? Like, I wonder, like, has that been part of it? No, not, um, I've had them out shooting traps. Sporting clays, I feel like, have okay. just crushed their spirit. I mean, it crushes yeah, my spirit yeah. sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so I don't want to do that to them quite quite this early. Um, we started out, um, I you know, just with the hand thrower. Uh, actually, we sure. started out just setting clays on the ground, and then and then the hand thrower, and that's right. that's kind of where we're still at. We've done trap a little bit, but. No, uh, I'll probably wait another year or two before I hit the sporting clays course just to get that muscle memory built in a little better. Yeah, sporting clays can definitely be uh, a game. And as you yeah. and I were kind of chatting before before we hit record, there are, you know, I do all right on, on very bird-like targets, but there are some other kinds <laughs> of targets that I just... I actually like I'm getting to the point now where I do want, like I kind of want to learn how to get better and I'd like to learn some of the like shooting some of that stuff just because I enjoy shooting shotguns you know apart from yeah. like practicing to be a more proficient upland bird shooter but yep. some of that stuff is just it is it is like you've got to kind of like break your mind a little bit and like reset to figure out how to hit certain targets which is kind of the allure to it too i think yeah it's it's definitely i mean it's a little bit like golf it's a mental game and if it gets in your head one way or the other (laughs) for better or worse (laughs) another game that i really do love too so i guess that explains it (laughs) (laughs) yeah talk to me a little bit about pheasant hunting in montana i think i'm have thought about and or talked about more so like kind of sharp tail hunting on the prairie but Mm. i'd like to like what kinds of what kinds of cover do you find yourself hunting in montana i'm guessing it's not as heavily based around cattails as i hear about uh here in minnesota often and you can obviously speak to both a little bit i think yeah it's i i think that's one of the draws of pheasant hunting in montana is it's such a variety um I do hunt some spots that have cattails that are like giant cattail sloughs and then some spots that are like wild rolling hilly country with some brushy draws here and there that hold birds, um, stuff that you would think only a sharp tail or a hun would live in and there's roosters in Mm -hmm. there. And then of course, like your classic CRP kind of tall grass fields, which is always sure. The most enjoyable to hunt with a pointing dog, obviously, but seems to be fewer and far between these days. Or maybe the birds are, you know, by late season, they're out of that stuff, the easy to hunt stuff and moved into the, the hard to get to stuff. Okay. But yeah, there's such a, there's such a variety, everything from cattails to, to practically mountain hunting to grass, grass fields, creek bottoms, always um, some of my best spots are just brushy creek bottoms um yeah it's a it's a pretty wide variety yeah i should probably i should probably um preempt this by saying the pheasant hunting in montana is horrible so don't bother (laughs) right yeah everybody stay home and then (laughs) no it's good stuff i love it i love (laughs) montana's got such a variety of cover but also such a variety of game that it's really kind of a hunter's paradise here yeah but forecast is looking bleak this year horrible jeez i haven't seen a bird yet that's not what i heard eric i i heard i heard there's been rains and the cover is luscious all across the west this year the cover is crazy out here this year we had so much rain at the right time that i was seeing birds early before the grass got high and then it felt like by mid-June, the grass was so high, you just weren't seeing birds anymore. So they've got great cover. There's supposed to be a really good grasshopper crop this mm-hmm. year, um, which is also helpful. So, yeah, it's 
looking to be a good year. We'll see. Yeah, everybody's everybody's kind of a kind of an optimist uh, at this point in the in the year. We're all we're all getting excited. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us, the the folks that would be listening to this show, we're going hunting anyways. But it's it's fun to yeah. talk about uh, what prospects <laughs> yeah. there might be. I mean, but, what else are we going to um, talk about in August, right? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but contrasted with last year, the conversation was heavily focused around drought and, and dry conditions. It's definitely looking a bit different across the landscape this year. Yeah. The drought last year was brutal out here. They had emergency grazing um, in place so that, you know, a lot of the places that normally have nice tall grass or even cattails, that kind of stuff was all pretty mowed down and dried out. So it was, it was pretty bleak and some of northern montana and eastern montana last year but everybody's uh talking about how great the grass looks this year so hopefully that's indicative of a good season to come yeah do you find yourself primarily hunting whether it's public land or publicly accessible land or do you have some private land access as well like what is your what does your land access look like for most of your season yeah it's probably like 85 percent public i don't gotcha I don't have a ton of private. I was able to lock in a few spots for for this hunting series just because I didn't want to have to count on public land for all five episodes. We did sure. for the first one and the second one, I think. But I was a little I was a little nervous about banking on just public land for these because you know obviously as much as it these episodes are not about slaying piles of birds, it's hard to make a a hunting show if you don't shoot anything so <laughs> yeah you know my goal was to just at least get a bird especially for the new hunters that we had on the episodes you know just for the experience and so they could see what what they looked like and and taste what they taste like and you know all the all the right stuff that we love about it yeah it's like you like you talked about with the with the kids you know that that success is it's an important uh component of it all but yeah, you still yeah. want to, you still want to shoot a pile of them with the camera too, though. I mean, ideally, yes, but it <laughs> yeah. doesn't always happen. And right. Right. I had to kind of, I had to kind of uh, steal myself for that and be prepared for, you know, hard days without a lot of birds, just so that it wasn't mentally for me, it wasn't hinging on success because that just adds a lot of stress to an already like. There's a lot of moving parts when you're when you're also filming. There's a lot of moving parts when you're hunting period mm-hmm. there's even more moving parts when you're hunting with a film crew along you know just having everybody in the right position when the bird comes up is is a is a struggle in itself so um yeah just like cutting down on that stress of like we got to get x amount of birds on film this this trip uh just help things along <laughs> yeah i was going to ask you what the what is the hardest or one of the hardest things about filming upland hunting and i could imagine basically just what you said would be one of those is that getting something on camera that requires like a lot of things to happen all at the same point like that's that's challenging i imagine yeah yeah i mean when i shot long way home two falls ago we were fortunate enough to be going to south dakota as part of the storyline so i knew we were going to have good hunting and we did but that still meant like hours and hours and hours of just following the hunter around with the camera yeah. rolling, waiting for the right thing to happen. Um, and then being sure that you're in the right position, you're recording, you're in focus, you've got the exposure right so that, you know, the footage is actually usable at the end of it. So you're not getting shot, you know, there's guns involved. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's different than different <laughs> right. than filming a lot of other things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, you know, it's also when it works, it's like I get as much enjoyment out of getting a great clip or a great photo of someone else shooting a bird than I do shooting as I do shooting a bird myself. Like it's, yeah. it has that same level of excitement for me. What's the, what's the easiest thing to film when you're upland hunting? I, I imagine the, the sceneries, the scenery kind of lends itself to the camera, doesn't it? Yeah, the scenery is, yeah, it certainly is. I've always thought I'd like to try shooting some waterfall hunting because you're just sitting still in the one spot sure. and, the, and the and the birds are coming to you. <laughs> they come to you. It seems, like, <laughs> <laughs> it seems way easier because obviously in upland hunting, 
they're going straight away from you as fast as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. So getting that on film is, is its own its own form of challenge. I mean, yeah, I don't know, the easiest, I don't know. Probably after the hunt when you've got the, you know, the, the beautiful feathers to focus sure, on. Sure, sure. The beautiful light when you're in the, in anywhere in the uplands, the sunrises and sunsets tend to be pretty epic. So that kind of stuff is always fun to get. Just the color yeah. and the, the sunset and that kind of thing. The sun does some pretty cool stuff out in big sky country too. When, when it's kind of oh, filtering man. through the clouds so and pretty. everything on the ground is golden. It's, that's uh, one of the things that caught my attention in my, my first trip to Montana. It's just like, wow, the, the lighting here at, you know, these, these certain points in the day, it's just like, you're just struck by it. Yeah. Especially in October when the sun's already a little lower in the sky and the lights just mm-hmm. has its own kind of October magic going on. It's pretty special. Yeah. Well, other than filming another season of Tailgate Tales that we'll be preparing to release this time next year, what else do you have on, on your calendar this fall? Are you just, just basically uh, taking in all that Montana has to offer? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we'll be, I'll be getting the kids out as much as possible around here in Montana, uh, doing some filming, and then it sounds like I'm going to go for round two on the chuckers um late season after everything closes down here in montana we might go back back down and uh chase matter on the the hills around utah again so looking forward to that because i don't i don't feel like i could ever get enough of that and talk about (laughs) whipping your butt into shape that's that that'll do it real quick (laughs) yeah you mentioned trail running earlier do you still uh do you still do that quite a bit is that how you keep in shape? I do. Yeah, that's kind of my uh, off off hunting season um, passion, I guess, is is uh, running in the mountains. And it's a way that I can, oh, get myself and my dogs exercise, I guess. Um, we both need it, both mentally and mm-hmm. physically. So yep. uh, that's I do a lot of that in the spring and summer. And then it has the added bonus of keeping me in decent shape for hunting season. And, and then... Uh, winter is usually uh downhill skiing so yeah yes well you're uh you're speaking my language there i between i i actually have been doing more running this summer than i think i have in recent years and it's it's either trail running with the dogs that's kind of like again it being efficient with your time i do that quite a bit and have been doing it a lot that a lot this summer and then i like the mountain nice. bike we have we have good mountain biking trails around here, but that I've been lacking a little bit this year. I've only been on my mountain bike once, and coincidentally, I got uh, I got chased off the trail by an angry uh, hand ruffed grouse, which was which was kind of cool. I didn't see any I didn't see any chicks. Yeah, I didn't see any chicks, but they must have been nearby because she came. She had she was like all she had her wings and tail fan out, and she came at me hissing and oh, wow. and yeah, it was a uh, it was pretty neat. But they're downright scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. And then I don't uh, I don't downhill ski, but I do cross country ski. So I guess we could probably nice. get along pretty well, Eric. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've got some good um, cross country ski trails there too. Indeed, around yeah. around Duluth. Yep. Well, give me the give me the hit list. If folks are wanting to check out Tailgate Tales and they haven't seen it yet, I would definitely in, encourage them to do so. At least the first episode will be out when they hear this. Possibly more. Where yep. do they go? How do they watch it again, Eric? Yeah, if you uh, follow Tailgate Tales on Instagram, that'll kind of keep you up to date on all the when things are dropping and and some of the other projects that we have in the works. And then on YouTube, it's just Tailgate Tales channel. Um, everything will live there. So, yeah, I, I'm excited to get it out there. Excited for uh, people to follow along. I hope it's well received and uh, you know adds adds fuel to the to the stoke and the fire leading up to hunting season for people yeah good deal man well i commend you for exercising your creative muscle in the upland space and uh, i appreciate it and i'll i'll look forward to seeing the rest of the tailgate tales and glad we had a chance to connect here on the birdshot podcast keep up the great work man thank you i appreciate it i appreciate you having me on and uh, it's been a fun conversation and look forward to meeting you in person at some point Right back at you, man. All right. Thanks. 
Thanks for tuning in, everybody. That does it for this episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt and Final Rise. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, and share, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.